This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. Delving into current events to uncover relevant wisdom. Uncover relevant wisdom. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome to the Charlie Harari Show. Great to be back with you another week. So much is going on. I appreciate you tuning in. Appreciate you being a part of this podcast. Um, there's so much to talk about. So much going on in the world. For those that are joining us for the first time, welcome to the podcast. The goal of the show is not just to explain what's happening in the world, but to go a step further to try to delve behind the curtain to understand what are the lessons that we can actually take to make our lives better. Because that's really what we're looking for. We're really looking at the end of every week, month, and year to figure out ways to make us better. And when you look out into the world, what you'll find is a lot of opportunities to make yourself better and the lessons are staring at us from every nook and every corner of our universe and if we can just look at it for close enough right if we just hold the frame for more than 10 seconds we'll be able to actually learn something and hopefully become better for it today we got a lot we're going to talk about we're going to talk about Marco Rubio dropping out of the contest we're going to talk about Donald Trump again I have a feeling we're going to talk about him a lot because when you see someone's rise at the level of a Donald Trump and it seems to um, sort of defy every sort of normative way of thinking, it's just sort of filled with lessons, filled to the gills with lessons. And the easy thing to do is sort of like, you know, point fingers and say, well, because everyone's angry and because of this. And and there's a truth to that. But. If you just do that and that's all you do and you sort of tut-tut at the, 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 the TV every time Donald Trump wins another state, you, we miss the opportunity to really learn something and walk away different people. We're going to talk about Donald Trump. We're going to talk about March Madness and what March Madness has to do with each and every one of us. And we're going to talk a little bit about bullies and how they operate, if we can get a chance at the end of the hour to speak about it as well. But I want to jump right in about Marco Rubio. And this week, big news, Marco Rubio um, agree, uh, suspends his campaign, um, which is a huge, huge blow to Marco and to the Republican Party, for that matter. I think the Republican establishment sort of banked their hopes on Marco after Jeb Bush knocked out of the race early on. They were really not really banking on John Kasich surviving, and they just thought that Marco Rubio, his background, his story, his youth, his charisma, you know, his ability to form consensus, everything that a Republican establishment party wanted, they were going to back behind him. And in many ways, I think a lot of the establishment figures felt that what Barack Obama had done to the Democratic Party in that there was a young face that was able to f- pack stadiums, deliver these inspiring messages about the future of of um, the American people. Bar- uh, Marco Rubio was able to do that as well. And so that, that was really, I think, where they were hoping that he'd gone. And I think the, the blow that he took to Donald Trump, nonetheless, had he lost to Ted Cruz, I think it would have been a little easier. But his sort of just... Mano a mano. That's what ended up what it, what it was at the end. It was, you know, Kasich was up against Trump in Ohio and um, Rubio was up against Trump in Florida. And it was really like, you know, one on one competition. It was like, you know, when you're a little kid and like, you know, you got the basketball and everyone's like just sort of everyone out of the way one on one. You know, you got to like sort of the, everyone's watching and it's like, you know, isolation. Let's go one on one. And and you'd think Marco in his home state, a sitting senator. I don't think a sitting senator has lost an election while he was running for his own state or he was running for president in, in 40 years. So here's this young, popular sitting senator in his home state for his his election, and it's just unbelievable. Um, and he ended up losing it, and, and that night, and to his credit, that night he ended up pulling out. And I, I think that for the, one, for the one part, his way of pulling out was as gracious as you can expect it. 
to give the credit to where, where, where it's due, his speech I was very inspired by. I mean, he spent half the speech talking about God, which I thought was just so tasteful. He actually read a quote, a long quote from King David that basically said God runs the world and he's going to decide who will be a prince and a king and who won't be and who will be the president and I wasn't chosen. I thought that was such a great, humble way to sort of bow out. And if you watched his concession speech, he began by sort of congratulating Donald Trump, to which his supporters started booing, and he really quieted them down. Unlike Donald Trump, who after Rubio lost, he tweeted out Rubio saying, whoever's going to win Florida will be the Republican nominee, saying, that's right, Marco. A little bit of a, like, you know, a, a, a push, a little bit of, an, uh, of a turn once the knife is already in the back, or in the front, I should say. But, you know, Marco played, played it much higher. And I know Marco had dipped beforehand, but he just sort of played it higher. And he bowed gracefully. And now, by the way, he becomes somewhat of a kingmaker because he's got 160-some-odd delegates that could go in a – could be the difference in a Burkert convention. So Marco really does have all these people that have voted for him that I think is going to listen to him. And it's going to say, to, you know, we're going to go this way versus that way. So Marco ends up leaving as gracefully as possible. Had he continued on, I think it would have been the worst. He would have just committed political suicide and just been seen as that, like, friend that, like, doesn't get the hint that they don't want to be around the other friends. You know, like the wink, wink, the little sister that hangs around the older sister way too much. And you're like, come on, get it. And now he sort of sees himself as a young guy that's starting out, goes up against this crazy campaign. And I think no matter what happens in this campaign... It's gonna, we're going to look back and go, that was an aberration to normative campaigning, and I don't think there's another Donald Trump out there. So I don't know if you're going to get another Donald Trump-esque type campaign coming up, and Mark Rubio still is only 44. So four years, eight years, he keeps it up, and he keeps on building his resume, sits on the right committees, runs for senator, um, and you're looking at a 50-year-old guy who's got some more experience, and I'm sure as day, his charisma is going to stick on his babyish looks will only get better um, and his kids will get a little older which will only help you know I was reading last night an article where he delayed his launch of his Ohio place you know they, they launched the whole the Ohio campaign because his little kids started kindergarten which as a father I'm like you know bravo but as a supporter I'm not saying I'm a Rubio supporter but as a potential supporter I'm like really where are you you three days behind everybody else I know that I was at a fundraiser, um, and someone mentioned to me that they were trying to get Rubio to spend the weekend at their place, and Rubio said no because he promised his kids early on in the campaign that weekends were home, and and I and I appreciate that. You just get little kids, and you have little kids, you know, you only have them little once, but you're just hard to run for president when you got little kids. So, um, but but that being said, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learning with Marco here, and I, and I really want to talk to you about one in particular. And it couldn't have come at a better time because this is March, and March is madness, right? And so whether whether or not you're a basketball fan or not, just like whether or not you're a football fan or not, so when the Super Bowl comes around, everyone pays attention. When you're a ba- if you're a basketball fan or not, when March rolls around and madness starts and the NCAA college tournament begins, then it just becomes insane because the NCAA tournament is so crazy. 64 teams, the games, the late nights, the buzzer beaters, it's unbelievable. It really is. No matter what type of fan you are, just watching that level of drama in sports, I find to be unbelievable. And there's a lesson that is very apparent when you get into March Madness, when you get into the tournament. And it is the same lesson that I think costed Marco Rubio the election. Um, And that is um, a very important lesson that we each... And every one of us need to understand is arguably maybe of the most important things that we have to do every single day. And many of us live a life and if you're trying to become great in life, what happens is there is a battle in your mind. Maybe you've experienced this, maybe you haven't, but, but stick with me and I think you're going to find that for the most part you've felt this before. On the one hand, you want to grow. You wanna, you're ambitious. 
right? I hope. I don't think you're listening to this podcast still now, this long, if you're not ambitious. So you, you have a certain level of ambition, and you understand and appreciate that ambition requires you to push yourself past where you are to achieve a goal, right? That's how it works. If you want to be great at sports, you've got to actually play in a game that's going to have people in the stands, right? You can't win a gold medal if you're not prepared to lose a gold medal in front of a lot of people. You can't be a competitive athlete if you're not going to be willing to stand in front of other people and potentially lose. If, you've an, if you're an entrepreneur and you're starting a company, you can't really be successful unless you bring your product out to market, unless you go around to other people and ask for money. Right? If you want a relationship, it's really hard if you never ask anybody. You know, that's why one of the greatest ills in relationships today are all the social apps that people are using today to get over what was the initial awkwardness of a relationship. I mean, when I grew up, if you wanted to ask somebody out, you had to actually muster up the courage to ask them out. Today, with every texting, Tinder, Facebook, whatever it is, you don't got to ask anything. You just got to, all that stuff is taken care of for you so that you can protect your fragile ego. So if you do get rejected, you can just sort of hide behind your screen. That's a disaster, a disaster, because as a kid, you had to ask someone out. Do you remember when you were like a little kid? And you had that, that little girl, you had that girl that you were like, uh, you know, going after and you had to like, you know, muster the courage and catch her by recess and, you know, say, hi, you know, maybe if you're interested, can you, can, can we go out to the, you know, and you're like, and your, 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 your heart is pumping and you're about to die. And she like musters that little, like, you know, shrug, half smile, you know, sort of nod and like your whole day, like, you know, of course. It's part of growing up. It's part of life. But to to get that girl or to get that guy or to do that thing or to raise your hand in class or whatever you want to do in life, there is a part of you that gets it and understands that you have to stretch. It's a stretch past where you are. And in the stretch, there is a moment of vulnerability. There is a moment of risk. There is a moment of uncertainty. As one mentor once told me once, he said that the ladders can teach you a lesson in life. A ladder, right? Because if you want to go up in life, there is a moment where you're secure, right? You step on a rung and a ladder and you get your balance and your security. But in order to get to the next rung, you have to step past that hole where you can fall, where you can stumble, where you can hurt yourself to find the next rung of security that's much higher than the first rung because that's how life works. You balance your life by security, insecurity, security, insecurity, security. And the growth of life is not going through your day hoping that you can just get done with it so that we can escape at night through television or movies or whatever, drugs, whatever it is. The the greatest method of achieving happiness, success, meaning, and purpose in life is the ability to constantly be pushing yourself to take on meaningful goals, win or lose, succeed or fail. It doesn't matter. And the ability to take on those goals make us who we are, make us the people that we are. And if you look at some of the literature and the research about happiness, there's a great researcher, you should check him out if you're interested in this stuff, called Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. Mihaly, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, just Google Flow and his, you can spell his name M I H. A-L-Y, or you can email me, charlie at charlieharari.com. Let me know you heard this, and I will send you a link to the book on Amazon so you can just find it. It's unbelievable. It's a little bit of a difficult read, but it is incredible. And what he has done, he has done research to find flow. What is flow? Flow is those moments where you know 
time slows down. You ever get that where like time slows down and you, you forget to eat and you're just involved in a project and you look up and you're like, what happened to the – oh, my God. Everything seemed to be moving so quickly. Everything seemed to be going great. And you're in this flow. Right? Like you're not checking your Blackberry, you're not checking your iPhone. You know, the guys that are playing football, running patterns, the the, the the people dancing on stage, the surgeons in the middle of a surgery aren't, I hope, checking you know, to see you know, if anyone retweeted their latest post on Twitter. They're like all in. That's called flow. And he says that if you want to achieve flow in life, which leads to happiness in life, you've gotta pursue meaningful goals that are going to make you stretch because that's really where happiness comes stretching pushing climbing the ladder asking that person out taking your marriage to the next level trying to do the thing maybe it's having the kid even though you don't know you're not sure how you're going to raise it or having another kid or maybe it's taking the new job or whatever it is Taking on that project, pushing yourself, making yourself vulnerable. That's really the path that we have towards true happiness and success. So how does that work on a daily basis? And the answer is that there's a piece of us that wants to do that, that is emboldened, right? As a piece of us that feels like we get up in the morning, we're ready to rock and roll. We all have that moments where we get the, you know, the, maybe that hit or that little bit of inspiration and we're off to the races. We watch whatever movie we watch and we're all inspired and we have in our mind what we want to accomplish and we go out to try to get it. There's a moment that each and every one of us feels that ambition, but at the same time there's a counter moment. And that counter moment says, we can't, we're not going to do it, it's not going to happen. Now, what does the counter moment use? Now, our brains are brilliantly are brilliantly structured because they're our brains. So they don't just say you can't. But there is a piece of you that says you can't. That, that's sort of level one. But there's a more sophisticated excuse that we have for not accomplishing our goals. What is that excuse? So when we come back, we're going to talk about it. Our brain gives us a, a certain excuse that we take. It makes us feel good. And it also doesn't make us have to do any real work. And it really keeps us in the same pace, in the same place that we are year after year. It keeps us mediocre and not achieving our greatness. What is that? When we come back, we're going to talk about it and explain how this move is actually the reason, at least I think, for the Marco Rubio campaign disaster and maybe the most important bit of advice during March Madness. This is all coming up right when we come back from the break. You're listening to The Charlie Harari Show on the Blaze Radio Network. This is The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. You're listening to The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to The Charlie Harari Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Great to have you back. We've been speaking about the idea of being great and how there's a piece of us that wants to stretch, wants to grow, wants to be somebody. And inside every one of us is this little piece that says, come on, you can do it. Let's do this. Let's let's stretch. Let's step over the um, the, the that small little uncertain area of the ladder, if you will. Let's achieve flow. Let's push ourselves to the next level. But there's a counter argument in our minds. And because, you know, when, you want, when you're about to risk something, you may fail, right? And you may look stupid and you may look dumb in front of other people and it may be a disaster. And all these things can happen to you when you slip and fall and potentially get hurt. So your mind says, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I got to protect you. 
So at first it tells you you can't do it, and many people sort of buy that, and that's it. You know, you can't do it, you're not good enough, and we sort of bow out. But for the rest of us who don't necessarily listen to that all the time, there's another excuse your brain gives you when you're about to do something great, and what it tells you is, great job, I, I love it, you can do this, but not today. Not today. You can't do it today. I, I want you to lose weight. Yeah, what an amazing idea. Losing weight. What well, great. Why wouldn't you want to be healthy? Of course. Eating the seventh burger, even though it's like a, some holiday. Yeah. But it, or, of course, acting this way, finishing the bag of potato chips, 10 beers. And yeah, why, would you, why, do, you need, why do you need the gut for? Why do you got to be? Of course, you should be healthier. Yeah, I'm all for health, your brain says. You know what I'm saying? Like, rock and roll. Let's do this. But you know it would be a great time to start? Two weeks from now. That's really the time where you got to go to the gym. Tomorrow morning, next week, in two, in two Fridays. Let's start on a Sunday morning. That, in, in, that's when you should do it. Right? I'm not saying no. But let's, let's defer the pain. Right? I want to start the new job. I want to start asking somebody out. I want to start dating again. I want to start building my marriage. I want to start taking the risks for my company. I want to start to push myself. I want to go back to school. I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great. Great, great, your brain says. I love it. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Tomorrow is the greatest, greatest excuse for greatness. Because if you say tomorrow, you can say to yourself, okay, I will be great, but I'll be great tomorrow. But here's the problem. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. No, there actually is no tomorrow. If you think about it, every day is a gift and you can't bank on a tomorrow. And tomorrow was designed for the area of greatness that you need to push to from the original greatness, right? Today is for this rung. Tomorrow was for the next rung. If you defer what you want to be and you push it to tomorrow, now you're losing all the stuff that you could have done tomorrow to get you even further down the road. Greatness comes when you move the timeline from tomorrow to today. So you ask yourself, okay, well, I can't do all of this today. And the answer is no, you can't. So what great people do if you follow them enough and you see their lives is that great people cut up their goals and they make them bite sizes to ensure that every day has a win. Every day has something. There is no tomorrow. Today they're doing something. Today they're climbing a rung. Today they're so you don't go to the gym for four hours. You go to the gym for fifteen minutes, but it's today. You don't finish a project, you know, in, in two months. You finish a project today. And that's by the way, anyone who's ever a student, you know what I'm talking about, right? If you're ever a student, the one thing that you've learned as a, as a student in any high school or university or college is you get the assignment day one. There's always one student in that classroom that gets it day one, works on it every night, 15 minutes, and then rolls into reading week and finals and aces it gets A's. And there's one student. The rest of us, you get it. You put it to the side, that syllabus. You wake up the night before. You panic. You hand in a piece of paper that's like a B minus, and you get what you get. And you're saying to yourself, this was stupid. Had I done 15 minutes a day, had I done 20 minutes a day, I could have been easing. It wouldn't even mattered. It's like one less thing to watch. It would have hung out 15 less minutes. I'd be getting A's and I would never be stressed. And we know it. And you go through life and you forget it. Because great people need to win every single day at something. You got to win at something. That means you have to hurt somebody. That means you got to fight to win. Every day, always. The breakdown of the Marco Rubio campaign was that they were okay with second and third for way too long. If you watch that campaign out, you will see that they Iowa, he comes in third. He gives he gives if you remember, Iowa he came in third and he gave an acceptance speech. He gave up there and said, they said our boots are too big and our face is too young, but the voters spoke. And I'm thinking to myself, the voters spoke. Didn't Ted Cruz win Iowa? Didn't Donald Trump come in second? You're in third place. Are you hoisting the bronze for real? It must have been a blip, I thought to myself. Then New Hampshire comes in and he got rocked at the debate and he loses New Hampshire. You would expect Marco Rubio to pick it up then, but he doesn't. As if like they're just sort of waiting in line and waiting for like the big guys to take each other out. And then you go week after week. 
South Carolina. He just keeps on placing second, third, second, third, third, fourth. And you keep on coming in third and fourth and second and third and fourth. You got to win. And then his campaign sort of put all their eggs in the Florida basket and couldn't pull it out because had they realized to themselves that they lost Iowa, panic. You lose Iowa, you hit the emergency button. You pull the fire alarm. How do you lose Iowa? What do we got to do to recalibrate? What do we got to do to make sure we win the next one? Had Marco Rubio gone into crazy we got to win mode after Iowa, Marco Rubio would still be in the race. Marco Rubio would be still in the race right now because you can't lose so many states and wake up and say, oh, my bad. You got to get into a habit of winning. And when you lose, you've got to push yourself to figure out how do I win tomorrow? Not, I'm in third, I'm in fourth, it's the delegate math, don't worry, we're going to get this, then get that, and pick up six delegates on Tuesday, I got a two-for-one special, if I buy it at Costco, I'm going to get a brokered convention, and I got a couple of guys in Washington that are giving me some extra money, there's a billionaire out in the middle of the West Coast that likes me, that's all excuses. A winner would be able to fight every day like it's his last. And that's why Rubio got trounced. Trounced. That's the word. It is. Because he was up against people that fought harder. Cruz fought harder. Trump fought harder. And at the end of the day, what was once the Republicans' party's savior couldn't even get through the middle of the process. And that, by the way, I think is the greatest lesson of March Madness. The greatest lesson of March Madness is... Either you win or you go home. That's why we love the Super Bowl for. That's why, if you notice, the two most exciting sporting events of the year is the Super Bowl and March Madness. Because they both have the same mentality of win or go home. When you watch regular playoff games, it's win four out of seven, and then you can win it all. And you watch one, then the second one, you have a bad day here, you get a better day tomorrow, you lose one, then you can lose two, win two in a row. And every game doesn't really mean it. And the last game, that's why when you see a playoff series and it's the seventh game, everybody watches because the understanding of how one plays when everything is on the line, that's inspiring. And you can be the greatest game, you can be the greatest team in the world. You can lose in the first round if you don't win today. You win today. There is no tomorrow. In your life, ask yourself, what am I pushing off? What part of my life am I pushing off? What goal have I been pushing off for the past years? Find that goal. Cut it up and win something today. Do something today. Push yourself today. Every night when you go to bed, you need to have a victory over some temptation, over some fear, over some risk. If you're not going to be winning every single day, you're going to wake up one morning and you're going to say, hey, what happened? How come I'm half the person I thought I was? When we come back, we're actually going to talk a little bit about more about Donald Trump because he hit on something that I think each and every one of us needs to fully understand. And when we do, I think we can be better at communicating to not only our friends and family, but also to our clients and customers. This is all coming up when we come back. This is Charlie Harari. You're listening to The Charlie Harari Show on the Blaze Radio Network. It's not just about the facts. It's about perspective. This is The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari. Chris Salcedo. Sanctuary cities in this country who are in open defiance of immigration law, and nobody cracks down on them. So Mr. Obama's priority is to not protect you and me. His priority is to prosecute, and I can't even believe I'm saying this, to prosecute Border Patrol agents if they don't go along with his lawless activity. Chris Salcedo, Saturdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to The Charlie Harari Show, talking about Marco Rubio, March Madness, and the need to win every single day. But let's take a little bit of a left turn 
and let's continue to talk about politics, but I want to do it in a way that can teach us lessons because this is the lesson that we can learn each and every one of our lives. And I think the Donald Trump story is a story that man sends many of us into a panic. It allow it has us pontificating about the demise of society. It brings up references to dictators and totalitarians from years past, and it does a number on the moral and ethical codes in which we all stand by. I just recently watched uh, Donald Trump. I saw a, the Blaze actually uh, covered the story. Donald Trump's sort of tirade against Megyn Kelly, and I'm thinking to myself, like, give it up, but he won't. It's it's unbelievable, just some of the things that I see coming out of him. But, however, I'm a, I'm a believer in people, and I, I, I know, and even studying a little bit of history and seeing just how bad people can be. I still don't believe that Americans in 2016 would just be so um, easily duped to just sort of follow Donald Trump blindly. And, and they're seeing something and they're getting something. And you know, what I tried to do this week, and this is a, a bit of advice that I got from somebody uh, on a radio show that I had about a half a year ago. I had a doctor on the show talking about um, fights and conflicts. And he had this great line where he said, if you really want to ever um, teach yourself an important lesson, he said, whenever you're in a conflict with somebody, take a moment to pull back and then re-engage in the conflict just for a few minutes as if you had no prior experience in it, right? Assuming that you don't have a side, you have no preconceived notions, you have no judgments, right? You just just listen to it as if you are completely unbiased. And what will happen, hopefully, is that you'll see bits and pieces of the other side, and that'll help you really connect. And I think that's a really good advice in life. If you're married and you're you're sort of coming up against your spouse and the two of you guys are sort of struggling a little bit, take a minute to drive around the block, whatever, on the next time you drive to work. Just, just drive in the car and go, okay, if I were my wife, how, how am I seeing it? And you can literally put yourself in someone's shoes. Or if I wasn't, if I just was a, a, a bystander, how, how, how should I see this? It's, it's a great sort of tool. So I was watching the debates, uh, whatever the latest one was. And at this point, I've seen so many. And I find most of my debates like just waiting for someone to attack Trump. And I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to try to watch this debate diff- separately, differently. I'm going to try to just watch Donald Trump as if... I was a Donald Trump supporter. Like, I'm going to pretend that I want Donald Trump to win, and I'm going to watch the debate and ask myself, okay, like, go Donald Trump, just so that I could experience what so much of the Republican voters are experiencing. So I did. And there was something that struck me along the way in the debate. And we spoke about this in earlier shows, but I really wanted to sort of hit it, or try to hit it at least, because I realized it then, it was the basic of life. He was doing something. I don't think he's doing it intentionally. I think he's getting lucky. But he's doing something that is sort of what we all would say is the highest level of communication in your life. What do I mean? So let me let me sort of take a step back. You know, in life, we all, life is basically, you know, our relationships, that's sort of how it all works. Life, if you sort of break it down, is just the sum total of your relationships, at least the quality of life, if you will, right? Even in business, when people think they can do it own, they can't. Your relationships that you have to your family, to your friends, to your business colleagues, to your customers, the relationships that we set up as a society, right? That we all are, we all keep. We couldn't, we couldn't live in a society like we're living in right now if there wasn't a basic tenet of a relationship that we have between each other. You don't just kill people you don't want to between people that protect us, right? These are all relationships. What is the core of a relationship? And the answer is communication, right? If you really want to break down relationships, it's basically communication. The people that are the most successful at life are typically people that are the most successful at relationships. Of course, there are sort of super geniuses that build things, but even things they build are relationships, Right, if you think about it, like you know, look at the most successful businesses of all time. Right, they're just relationships. Uber, it's got it's like a thirty billion dollar company. It's relationships. It's just figuring out a way to connect you to somebody else. So Facebook is relationships, just connecting you. Google, everything is just ways to just quicken and to um, make the relationships around you more efficient. Right. So 
communication is the core of relationship, but the biggest problem in communication is that people not only are speaking differently, like I want one thing, you want another thing, is that many times they're speaking the same language, but the language has very different meanings. What do I mean? Take, let's say, like a stereotypical couple, right? Let's just play, like, you know, sort of, you know, a, like a stereotypical sort of like traditional couple, right? You got the guy, you know, who wakes up, you know, five o'clock in the morning and goes out to work and works his tail off all day and, you know, puts together a, a you know, decent living for his wife and kids and comes home and his wife, you know, sort of wakes up and takes care of the children. And let's assume that traditional sort of family structure, right? And the guy's like, you know, sort of a typical guy, a sort of like an alpha male and he never really like speaks. He just grunts, comes home, gets a beer, sits in front of the TV. And his wife is sort of, you know, overly emotional. And at some point the two of them get together and they, and they look at each other and, they, and, he said, and she says to him, you know, I don't think you love me. And he goes, what are you talking about? Of course I love you. And he goes, well, really? We've been married for 20 years. You haven't said once, except for our anniversary, that you love me. And the guy is thinking to himself, really? I wake up every morning at 5 o'clock in the morning. I don't have anything. Every dollar I make goes into the family. I kill myself. I work. I get sick and I work. I climb to work. I curl to work. I ask you for so little. I ask you for nothing because I just want your happiness. Anything you want to buy, I let you buy. I want you to buy. You put on something new. I get excited about it, right? I am saying I love you every day of my life. And she's saying, really? I don't hear it from you. Now, this couple will go to the grave thinking that the other person doesn't love them because she needs it in words and he needs it in her understanding of his actions. So they're both talking, but they're not using the same language. You following? They're both talking. He's talking. He's saying, I love you. But the way he says, I love you is through working is through trying to provide and a smart wife in this scenario, and it could be a husband to a wife, doesn't have to be just a wife. I'm just using a traditional case for, um, for our own sakes, but a smart wife will say, wait, 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 my husband loves me so much. Look at how self, how selfless he's being his whole life. Parents and children get this a lot too, right? Parents, children, always, right? Kid gets a call from mom, you know, where are you? And the kid's like, what? She's like, it's one o'clock in the morning. Where are you? The kid's like, leave me alone. Hangs the phone. Friends go, who is that? It's my mom. She's so annoying. Right. And that kid will say to her mom, how come you don't love me? She goes, what do you mean? Well, you never tell me to love me. You never trust me. And the mom's saying, what are you talking about? When I call you one o'clock in the morning, I'm calling you for my benefit. If I didn't love you, I'd go to sleep. I'm only calling you because I love you. (laughs) You crazy. So to the kid's brain, she needs mom to sort of say, I love you, I love you, love you, and let her, and just sort of let her go. But to the mom, she kind of wished the kid would say, hey, wait a second, why is my mother calling me? There are lots of moms that give birth to kids and say, sayonara, good luck, help you have a good time in life. Maybe I'll hand you to a maid for the next 30 years, or I'll just get you till you're old enough and then get that guy out of that, oh, yeah, go out wherever you want, I don't care, end up in trouble. Pl- that's the lack of love. But in order to fully understand you got to be able to seek past the words. Why is Donald Trump so successful for? Now think about it for a second. Why is it that he is so successful? And the answer is because he is saying something in the language of the people. You see, when a politician gets up and speaks, they are speaking a language. They're saying things. What they're saying is, in order for you to get what you want, we're going to have to go through a process of governmental reforms, right? You want to get more jobs? Great. Here's what we got to do. We got to follow a conservative agenda. We've got to cut taxes and do this and do that and do this and change this policy and cut out this policy and repeal Obamacare and blah, 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 blah. We got it. We got it. We got it. And when we finish this whole thing, we're going to make America great again. And we're going to bring back a, a, uh, a much more of a conservative voice. And you're not really part of the conservative movement, but I am. And let me tell you why. And they start talking policy. And that policy is true. It's right. It's just not in the language of the people. 
right? That policy is the wife saying, hey, I love you. Let me express to you exactly how I love to you. And I, and I just hope that you would understand that. And it's not fully getting that that person doesn't speak that language. They're not interested in the long talk. They just want to hear it in the way that they hear it. The husband wants to be heard in his way. The child wants to be heard in their way. The mom wants to be heard in their way. Everybody wants to be heard in the way in which they speak. And the few people that are able to understand that if you want to resonate with somebody, you can't speak a language that you like. You have to speak a language that they like. You got to understand them at their level. What's bothering them? What's bothering your clients and your customers? Not when you pick up the phone to sell them something. It's let me tell you what's good for me. It's let me tell you what's good for you in your language. I'm not speaking my language and expecting you to understand what I'm saying. I'm speaking your language and I expect you, or I'd hope that you can hear me because I'm, I have figured out what bothers you and I'm saying the exact words that you need to hear to make yourself feel better. This, by the way, is Donald Trump's greatest, and, and this, I think, is why he is Teflon Don. This is why I believe, no matter what they're saying on stage, it, there, there's nothing to be talking about. Because when you hear him say a couple of things, the world goes crazy. What do we care about most? Well, America cares first and foremost about their livelihood. Period. Yeah, I love the, this agenda and that agenda. Of course, I'd love to defeat ISIS. Of course. But if I've lost my livelihood, I can't get, I can't get to second base. America wants to hear one thing. Money. Jobs. I'm going to put you, food on your table. You think I'm going to let you starve? You think we're going to have a conversation about immigration? I don't care about immigration. I care about my table. I care about my money. I care about supporting my family. I care about looking my kids in the eye when they say, Daddy, can I buy this? And me saying, I'm sorry, honey, I can't afford it. I care about walking into my home and seeing that there's not enough food. Or looking down my health care bills and saying, I don't have enough money to pay for it. You think I care about the world politics? You think I care about the conservative agenda? I don't care about any of that stuff. I care first and foremost about jobs. When you talk to me about jobs, about my pride, about being the country that I signed up for as a kid, about being proud to be an American, about being able to put food on my table and look at the television at night and feel good about where I live and what I stand for. When you talk to me about primal needs that have not been fulfilled by the current administration, I am listening. I don't care if you hate Megyn Kelly. I don't care if you hate everybody. I don't care if you show up to the debate. You don't show up to the debate. I don't care about all that stuff. And every single politician, and I'm not blaming them, because they were doing what they're supposed to be doing. Every single politician is going around about it the way they know how. By connecting the dots in an honest, true way that they know how. See, the challenge here is that they're right. Donald doesn't know how to run anything. Donald has never been in public. Donald has never been in office before. He runs a company. When you run a company, the power is centralized with you. When you wake up in the morning and say, let's, let's sell the building, you, get, you sell the building. That's why in one of the debates they said, what happens if the military doesn't listen to you? He looked, he looked, he looked over the debate, you know, the, the, the questionnaire, and he's like, what? And, and the, 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 the host was saying, what happens if you, you know, tell the people to kill their families? And the military personnel says, no. And he's like, what? Of course they can listen to me. I'm the boss. No? And everyone's like just quieted for a second. They're like, no, you're not really a boss. You're a president. It's a little different. We're in America right now. This is in England in the 1700s. You can't do whatever you want. You're not Henry VIII. You have to go through Congress and blah, 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 blah. And Donald doesn't know what that is. So Donald's just saying things. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's still just saying stuff. But he tapped into something. What is that? We're gonna, when we come back, we're going to include the show and figure out exactly what he's tapping into, how he did it, and why he is Teflon Don, and how that actually could be used 
in our lives. This is Charlie Ryrie listening to The Charlie Ryrie Show on the Blaze Radio Network. It's more than just events. It's what they mean to your life. This is The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari. Don't miss Pat and Stu. Is there an uh, anti-socialism Bernie Sanders meme going around? What? Yeah, that's wrong. Against I, socialism? Against People socializing socialism. with each other? Is there right. a problem with that? I guess so, Stu. I guess uh, America has gotten to be such a bad place, you can't even socialize anymore. Mm-hmm. Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Delving into current events to uncover relevant wisdom. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari. Welcome back to the show. Let's conclude what we've been talking about here. Talking about Donald Trump and how he has been able to literally be untouchable, even though he has made every single political mistake known to man. Every day, every single day, he has done something that would have catapulted someone else's entire political campaign and it seems to not bother him at all and the reason is because he has done the one thing that no candidate has been able to do which is talk to people in the voice that they need to hear as we spoke about before the break that how what really makes somebody a great communicator is not just saying things that make sense to you it's understanding people at where they're at it's the example of the wife that understands her husband loves her because he works so hard or the daughter that says that her mom loves her because she's calling to see where she is at 1 o'clock in the morning. When you can speak at somebody else's level in the words that they understand, you will get them to respond in ways that you couldn't otherwise. Every candidate is doing what candidates do. That is why Hillary Clinton should have been totally a shoo-in and is only now she is emerging as the Democratic nominee because Bernie is such a bad candidate. He is so far off the reservation. Had she gone up against Joe Biden, she would have, had she gone up against any normative candidate, she would have lost. And the reason is because when you hear her speak, you know that she's giving you the political talk for whatever it is that you want to hear. That's not your language. That's not our language. Our language is our fears, is our needs. What is the greatest primal needs that America is going through right now? Well, there's two major ones. Number one is that there's not enough money. There's plenty of money just going to very few people. Lots of people are struggling. And we do not believe, at least the conservative side, the republic side, do not just buy into the whole liberal, democratic, just steal from the rich and pay everything for free. We want to work. We want jobs. We don't want to just take. We don't want, we don't want a welfare state. We don't want free college. We're willing to work for our, our, our living. We just need the chances and the opportunities. All the jobs that used to be part of the American culture is now gone and shipped overseas. And the second thing is that we are being embarrassed on a national stage. What it means to be an American means that you are powerful. All of us have lived through the Cold War, and we've come emerged, we've emerged from there as the, as the, the only superpower in the world. And when you see people that are threatening our lives running around the world and you say to yourself we are we have the the greatest military at this point known to man why are they still even in the even in the periphery our livelihood and our life is potentially at risk and nothing else matters the conservative dream doesn't matter that what goes on in politics doesn't matter and one thing that i know for sure is that washington is sitting there with the entire world at their disposal and they haven't been able to fix ISIS. They haven't been able to deal with terrorism and they haven't been able to figure out how to get us more jobs. So they have failed us at our most primal, our most primal needs. In comes Donald Trump. And Donald Trump says two things, basically, if you listen to everything he says. Number one, I'm getting you jobs. I'm bringing them back. I may cause, cause world chaos I may have a policy that will never work. It doesn't matter. I'm telling you one thing. I'm going to get you jobs. And when we hear that, America says whatever. It's almost as if America doesn't even hear the rest of it. Now, I personally disagree with it, just so you understand where I personally fall in this thing. I think he's promising things he cannot deliver, and I think he's selling you on a dream that he can't because he's a salesman. But that's my own personal belief, just so you didn't think I was becoming a Donald Trump supporter. But 
let's call spade a spade. He is saying things that may not actually be true, but the reason why he's winning is because he's saying the things that people feel in the language that they feel it. They don't want any hedging. They don't want any apologizing. They just want to feel safe and they want to have money. So when Donald Trump comes out and says that he's going to put a temporary ban on all Muslims coming into America, you know that's nearly impossible and it's going to send the world into chaos. But it doesn't matter. That's a way of saying to people, I'm willing to be extreme to protect you here. So if 2% of those people coming in are terrorists or 10% or whatever the number is, it's now zero because they're not coming in and that's it. And when people hear that, they hear there's somebody ready to fight for them on the things that matter to them most. He's speaking the language of the people. The people are angry, the people are frustrated, and the people have turned to Washington and said, I have been living with a decade of an ineffective, feckless leader who has only embarrassed us on the world stage and made our lives worse. I don't trust anybody that sounds like that guy. And even though I think the other candidates have a better shot at delivering to the people what they want... Donald Trump has managed to say it in a way that they resonate because communication is being able to say the things that people want to hear. And here's the kicker in the language that they are familiar with. Ask yourself when you speak to your spouse, what are your kids? What are your clients? What are your customers? Are you speaking not only the things that they want to hear, are you speaking in the language that they understand? Are you speaking above them? Are you speaking from your perspective? Or are you speaking in a language that they will get? That they feel familiar with? That they can resonate with? And if you are, you will stand above the rest. Whether or not you're the most qualified. Whether or not you're the most qualified to deliver that service... Whether or not you're the best spouse or parent, if you can figure out a way to say the things in the language that the person that you're with understands, they will resonate with you in a deeper way than if not. And that, in my humble opinion, is a total game changer. That changes every single bit in terms of how you can be effective. And if you needed any proof... You look at a man who is the least qualified person to be president of the United States, who has made enough gaffes in his campaign that would send a full set of congressmen and senators and women and senators out, out from the campaign trail, and he just doesn't leave because people don't care. Say the things I need to hear in the language that I speak, and the rest of, us, the rest of it is muted. And that's, I think, the show for today. Of course, I'd love to hear from you. Give me a call. Uh, send me an email if you if you like what you hear. If you want to hear something different. If you want to hear a topic. If you have a thought, uh, an approach, a topic, whatever it is. It's a community I want to build with you. And I hope that you had the opportunity and that you enjoyed it. Charlie at charlieharari.com at C-H-A-R-L-I-E-H-A-R-A-R-Y.com. You can just email me. And whatever we do in the future, I'll, I'll incorporate your thoughts into the future shows. Remember, Marco Rubio, you got to win now. Donald Trump, you got to speak in the language they understand. And if we take a page out of what's going on around us to become a little bit better. Hey, isn't that what it's all about? You've been listening to Charlie Rar because remember, life ain't meant to be good or great. It's meant to be awesome. Thanks so much for tuning in. Can't wait to speak to you next week. You're listening to the Charlie Harari show with Charlie Harari on the blaze radio network.